Join me this morning in the book of Revelation. We're getting down to the end of the book. And some of you may be thinking, gee, I'm glad. But next week, we're going to enter into something that everybody's been waiting on, basically. And that is what Armageddon is all about. And what, what we mean by Armageddon, what's going to happen at Armageddon, and, and how Armageddon uh, applies to us. But today, in chapter 18 of the book of Revelation... We're going to once again witness the judgment of God upon Satan and upon his minions that have been in control of this earth for seven years. Now, I find it amazing uh, at times that people, when, it, when, you, when you start talking about the end, the end times or just the end, when you start talking about that, people will withdraw themselves because they, they don't want to discuss that. They, they don't want to think about those things. And, and in a sense, I get that. But one of the things that you have to keep in mind is that when, when we deal with the end times, the eschatology of, of the Scripture, you must keep in mind that the reason that's there is because God is warning you this is going to happen. How can, how can we ignore that? How, how can we turn away from that? And how can we not address that? I, I would feel remiss if I went through my ministry and never spent time in the book of Revelation helping you to understand this is going to happen. I believe it just as well as I'm standing here, and I hope you do too. This is going to happen. And I think all of us understand that God means what He says, and He said what He meant. That's it. And these things are going to happen and take place. So we look at ourselves... And when we start talking about the end times and, and what's going to happen, you have to be able to settle that in your heart as to how you perceive what's going to take place. Now, I, I kid with my family all the time about, uh, you know, going to glory is what I call it. I'm, I'm going to glory. I was talking to a, a little girl not a month or two ago. And we were discussing th some things about uh, our house and things. And, and she said, well, we're, we're talking about 20 or 30 years. And I said, wait a minute. I ain't going to be here in 20 or 30 years. And she said, oh, yes, you will. And I said, no, I won't. I don't want to be here at 90. Because if I'm 90 and Kelly's 92, they're going to put us together. And nobody can stand that. I said, no, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to glory. And she said, oh, stop that. And I said, no, I'm not going to stop that. I'm going to glory. And she said, well, you don't know when. I said, doesn't matter. I'm going to glory. Do I want to leave? No. Do I want to leave my family? No. Do I want to leave my wife? No. But folks, the truth is that's going to happen. So why is it that we can't prepare our hearts according to what God says to us? 
so that when we read this and we look at this, it doesn't bring fear to us. But we see the comfort and mercy of God that says these things will happen. If you will do what I ask you, these things don't apply to you. Now, isn't that good? It doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to me. It just tells me what God is going to be doing and who this God is that, that's going to be bringing all this about. So when we, when we look at this, Number one, we need to settle in our hearts and have it set. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you, according to the Scripture, confessed that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sins, believe that He rose again, and by faith you've opened up your heart and, and confessed to Him, I am a sinner, I'm lost, I believe you died, I believe you rose again, and by faith I ask you to come into my heart and save me. You say... I've done that. Good. I'm, I'm glad you have. If you've done that, our lives must be filled with love for the God who saved us. So where am I? You say, well, this is the judgment of God on those without Him. I'll agree with you. But dear Christian friend, don't ever forget that we will be judged when we get to heaven. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we can ignore, we can turn our backs, we can say, I can do what I want to, and everything will be okay. And at the judgment seat of Christ, He will take away everything that does not bring glory to Him in the life that you're living. He'll burn it all up. There are no rewards for you. You will be saved, yet so is by fire, Paul said. And then there are those that said, well, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm okay because I prayed the other day and God answered my prayer. Did it ever occur to you that God might have answered somebody else's prayer? That y'all were praying the same thing? So just because we see something happen, we say, oh, well, gee, God, God loves me. He's taking care of me. We can't, we can't depend on that. Now, this morning, I, I want you to, to nail it down. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's not a Baptist church in this world can save you. Nor any other denomination. We can't do it. I can't save you. The church can't save you. Joining the church can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Drinking juice and eating a salty cracker can't save you. You need Jesus. And without Him, these things will apply to you. Now, folks... I want you to understand, I love you with all of my heart. And that's the reason I want you to understand this book of Revelation. And I want you to make sure that your heart is right with God. And that you begin to love Him and to serve Him. Because listen, there will come a day when all of this is going to end. Because you see, when God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, guess what? He put an end to it. Ever since the day of creation, let there be light. 
the end was waiting. I don't know when that is, but God does. I don't know how I'm going to leave this earth, but God does. But folks, we have to ask ourselves, am I ready for this? So, what does God say to us today? Revelation chapter 18 is an interesting passage because Revelation 17 is the ecclesiastical Babylon that was destroyed. The prostitute of Babylon had lured all of these kings and and merchants into her web. And because of that, all of a sudden the Antichrist, which was a part of this, and the false prophet, which was the leader of this ecumenical group, the Antichrist and the false prophet were building upon all of these religious ideas, telling them that God doesn't love them, that God doesn't care, that the Antichrist is the real Messiah, and he's going to take care of you. Look at all the good that he's doing for you. And all of a sudden, the Antichrist turns on this Babylon, this mystery Babylon you read in chapter 17, this this harlot that rode this scarlet beast. He turns on that beast, And he destroys it with all the kings on his side. And all of those kings will join the Antichrist. And that's when they will move into chapter 19. Because there they will face the Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. So chapter 17 is the ecclesiastical Babylon. Chapter 18 is the political, commercial, economic Babylon. When you begin to mix religion and politics, and I'm not talking about what I did last week, when, I, when you take the scripture and say, thus saith the Lord. What I'm talking about is when you take religion and you build a political uh, agenda on religion, and all of it flows through the church, and all of it does things that rob the glory of God, when you begin to take those, those things and put them together, all of a sudden things are going to fall apart and God is going to put a stop to it. Now what God is doing here is that He's about to take this economical Babylon, He's about to take this political Babylon, and He's going to, he's going to destroy it, just like what happened with the church in Babylon. But look at verse 1 of chapter 18. And here we begin. Because first of all, I want you to see that God has remembered the lure of Babylon. And I'll show you what that means here in just a moment. Verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. In other words, that Shekinah glory, the glory of God. And he cried mightily, with a strong voice. The angel's not named. We don't know who he is. But he has a powerful voice that cries out. And here's the cry. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. 
Now, I want you to look in verse 5. Verse 5 is the title of my message, and I want to point out something to you. The last part of verse 5, for her sins have reached unto heaven. Now, read this. And God hath remembered her iniquities. God has remembered. God has remembered me and you. All about us. God remembers. God doesn't throw us aside. God doesn't forget. God remembers. And I want to point out those things to you very quickly. God remembered the lure of Babylon. Now let me tell you something about this name Babylon. The Babylon that is used in chapters 17 and 18. And in the book of Revelation. The Babylon that he's talking about is an expression It's not a city. The Babylon on the Euphrates is that Babylon which was built by Nebuchadnezzar. And the doctrine of Nebuchadnezzar was that he was in total control and he controlled the world. The Jews were taken into Babylon and there they were held captive. Daniel was one. Ezekiel was one. Jeremiah was one. And they were held captive and sway under Nebuchadnezzar who was the God of all the earth, he thought, until God put him on his all fours. And when he did that, after seven years, he stood him up. And Nebuchadnezzar began to bring honor and glory to God. But the Babylon was already built. This fortified city, Babylon on the Euphrates. But this is Babylon on the Tiber, there at Rome. This Babylon is an expression, not a city. And the expression is this, Babylonianism. Now, what is Babylonianism? Now, listen to me real close, right quick. That phrase, Babylonianism, exists anywhere religious faith is practiced. But what is this Babylonianism? Number one, is an ecumenical religion. Ecumenical faith. And basically that word means it's universal. Do you understand today that there are people that are still pushing to bring all the churches into one denomination and make the church all one? I like the the little story about uh, the meeting that was taking place And they were presenting this idea of making every church one. And they were going to call it the World Christian Church. And an old Baptist deacon stood up and he said, I'm going to tell you all something. I've been a Baptist and a deacon for 75 years. And you're not going to make a Christian out of me now. (laughs) Now listen. They want to make everybody one. And you know why? Why? Because not only is Babylonianism ecumenical, Babylonianism is also an empire. It means that you you, you operate under an imperialist. And that is one person that controls all of it. That's what's happening in the time of the Antichrist. The false prophet is controlling all of the religious ideas. And he has brought everyone to worship the image of the Antichrist. And he is the one that's going to be in complete control of this. And when he is, everything that he's done is for self-gratification 
and deals in hedonism, which means that our lives are filled with pleasure. Everything that brings you pleasure, that's what makes it right, and that's what makes it good. That's what Babylonianism is all about. It's also a compromised faith. It dilutes everything about the Scripture that God has told us. It dilutes it to the point that people say, well, all i got to do is this, this, and this. But God says, you've got to do this, and this, and this. And if you begin to water that down and say, we can leave out nine-tenths of that and use just a little bit of that, folks, we are taking the Word of God and throwing it away and saying, we don't need your Word. We can decide what we're supposed to do. That's what Babylonianism is all about. It's the mother of all unfaithfulness that stands before God. It focuses on man. It doesn't focus on the grace of God. That's what's happening here. And folks, it's happening right now. In this country, in this world, those are the things that are taking place. Notice what the angel said. Babylon is a, is a home for, uh, as he cried out, it's become the habitation of devils. Now, that word habitation means a haunt. You know what I'm talking about? It's talking about a tower. It's talking about a tower that's built, and this tower holds as a prison all of the evil demons and things that are uh, a part of that uh, even today. The angel calls it this haunt that incarcerates the evil and unclean spirits, and it even mentions the birds of prey. The birds of prey will come in uh, during the time of Armageddon because they'll eat the flesh. You read the, uh, in the battle uh, in Ezekiel of Gog and Magog in 38 and 39. And what you'll read and find out is that the birds will pick the flesh of all of those who have been killed. And that's what these birds are. They are birds of prey, birds of carrion. And they will take and they will destroy all of those, the demons, Satan's haunt. All of that is going to be brought down. Then the angel gives the reason for the destruction. And the reason for the destructions is that uh, the destructions is because the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of the fornication of the harlot in chapter 17. We've already discussed that. Those are the idols that she has led them to. <clears throat> and because of that wrath of fornication, she's committed this adultery and she's lorded herself over all. And this adulterous relationship has involved kings that come in and join in with this religious, political, economic thing called Babylon. This, this place where they dwell. They have all of these ideas about what they can do. And it's an unholy union. Religion and politics. All the merchants are mesmerized by her wealth. There are excessive luxuries. Right at the end of verse 3. The earth are waxed rich with the abundance of her delicacies, excessive luxury, her wantonness, her insolence, her carelessness, her arrogance. All of that begins to play. And it's all about to come tumbling down because God remembered the lure of Babylon that lured all of those people in. And those who rejected God and followed after this, this false prophet and the Antichrist at that particular time. But not only that, God remembered the sin of Babylon. Look at verse 4. The sin of Babylon. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. That word, be not partakers, 
is the same word where we get fellowship. Don't fellowship with her. Don't fellowship with that idolatry that she brings. Don't fellowship with the ideas that she's trying to plant into your minds because if you do, you will receive the same plagues that she receives. Don't become a partner in the things of this world and don't let Satan make you think that you can live good and be good and do what you want to. Listen, when we think that we're good enough to get into heaven, then you are just taking God off the throne and putting yourself there and saying, I have done good and and righteous things, so I'm bound to go to heaven just like everybody else. Well, here's the difference in me and you. You've done good and you've done righteous things. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I don't have anything in me that's going to allow me to take myself up into heaven. I don't have anything that I can offer that makes me good enough to get into heaven. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner saved by grace. You see, and there's the difference. Saved by the grace of God. We can't stand up and say, I'm better and I'm, I'm good. We're going to receive what she receives. If we continue in that, coming through that tribulation, will people be saved? Yes, we've already talked about that. There will be some that will receive Christ. We're going to see that here in just a second. But folks, it doesn't mean that you will. And that's why you have to be careful of this and make sure that everything is right with God right now. Avoid the judgment of sin. Walk away from it. Stay away from it. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean things. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sin. Keep yourself pure. Don't partake in that. God remembered. And God remembered the sin and the plagues that come along with that. Avoid the plagues that are intended for her. When you read that verse, come out of her, my people. Be not partakers of her sin. Her sins have reached unto heaven. They piled high on each other, stuck together, reminding us of the Tower of Babel. And they keep piling up these sins. And he said, get away from that and leave it alone. The love for God should compel us to say it's not about me, it's about God. Be ye holy as I am holy. Separate yourself from this world and get away from this before the judgment falls on Babylon and on you as well. God remembered. And the scripture says he will double the judgment. Verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you and double under her, double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. The sins that she brought. The sins that that God is judging on her. Look at verse 7. How much she hath glorified herself. The sin of pride. Now folks, God hates your pride. And there's a lot of people living with the pride today. And saying, "I'm, I'm this and I'm that. But we don't exhibit that. We don't show that. Let others see Jesus where? No, that's the song. Let others see Jesus in me. 
And if we are not obeying God and being faithful to God and doing the things that God has asked us to do, how can God bless us? If we don't take the word and preach the word, how can God bless us? How can God bless this church? If we don't stand for what God says. This Babylon is being judged for the sin of pride. God hates your pride. What he wants you to do is understand it's not about you, it's about him. And God knows, God knows what you're thinking and what you're doing. If we excuse ourselves in so many different ways so that we don't have to serve God. God remembers that, that you love you more than you love him. And he says, I will judge her for that, giving her all that she needs and not glorifying God. But yet she says, I'm not like the other people. I am greater than all the others that are here on earth. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she says in her heart, I sit a queen. I'm no widow and shall see no sorrow. Now, you know what that means? The queen never lost that luxury. Now, a woman could be taken care of by her husband during the time of Rome. But if that husband died, then that woman was on her own. And no one would take care of her and she'd find herself in poverty. And doing anything that she could to try to live and to raise her children. But the queen would remain. She was the queen. And that's what this lady is saying. I'm not going to have to beg like some poor beggar. I'll be taken care of. I'm the queen. And that's just exactly what we're saying when we say to God, I don't need you, God. I can get to heaven all by myself. Isn't it amazing that in our world today, it doesn't make any difference uh, watching television or whatever and listening to these shows and, and somebody dies that everybody just talks about, oh, they've, they've gone to heaven, and gee, they're looking down, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and something else, and it all relates to heaven. Folks, there's another place called hell, and people don't understand it anymore because we don't talk about it anymore. You see, that, that got to be where uh, it hurts somebody's feelings or it might scare somebody. And so we back up and we say, I can't talk about hell because I just, I just don't know what that's going to do to the psyche of somebody. Well, I'm not real concerned about your psyche. I'm more concerned about your soul. There is a place called hell. And it's a place of separation from God for eternity. It's a place of, of destruction. It's a place of damnation. It's a place of fire. It's, it's, it's a place where you will spend eternity in, ter- in eternal darkness with no hope. No hope. And if you leave this earth without Christ, you're following after what Satan has asked you to do. And we find ourselves separated from God, just like Satan will be. Don't listen to the pride and don't listen to those things that are pulling us away. And don't think that we're going to be some child of God just because we've been good. Here are these monarchs wailing over her. They're crying for themselves, basically, because the queen is now gone. Her plagues come in one day. Do you see that? One day. And I'm going to read you something in just a minute that beats that. The day comes in one day. Death, mourning, and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the day is the Lord God who judges her. Don't delay, folks. Our God is a patient God. 
Our God is a loving God, but he's got this day set. And you better believe when that day gets here, judgment will come. Judgment is going to come on us. The kings of the earth, in verse 9, have committed, uh, committed fornication. They live deliciously with her. They bewail her. Lament for her. And that means to cry out loud. Now look at verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city. Now notice this. For in one hour, the judgment has come. Destroyed in an hour. Folks, God is, is going to move quickly when God moves. He will move suddenly. He will move decisively. And it shall be done. God has remembered. And when you read verse 11 and the merchants talking about the economy of all of this, of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. Verse 12 and verse 13, they list several different items of merchandise that was their economy, such as gold and silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, thine wood, which is a hard aromatic wood, all manner of Vessels of ivory, all manner vessels of precious wood, of brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, flour, wheat, beasts, sheep, horses, chariots. That was all of their wealth. That was all of the economy at that particular time. But you notice I left out one. And slaves. Souls of men folks God's judgment is going to fall because he remembered the dehumanizing of men slaves that are bought and are traded the beast controls the economy this is the antichrist he controls it but God is crushing it down around him and part of it is because he dehumanizes people and just makes them do whatever sell them kill them it doesn't matter we don't want to do that we don't want to see that we read about it we understand it we understand the things that happen we don't want to see that again to dehumanize people because it makes no difference who the people are. It doesn't make any difference the color that they are. It doesn't make any difference of the prosperity they have or none at all. It makes no difference because you see they're still children of God. And God says, you've taken my children and you have made a mockery of them, the souls of men, dehumanizing them, all of mankind because of what you've done. They provide for these people. Verse 14 talks about the fruit. We don't know what that fruit is. The fruits that the soul lusted after. It was provided for them. That's what they had. And then all of a sudden it's gone. They don't have it anymore. The merchants of these things may, were made rich by her. Stand afar off. Because of the fear of her torment. Weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, the great city. In verse 16. Clothed in fine linen. Purple, scarlet. Decked with gold. Precious stones and pearls. Look at verse 17. In one hour, the great riches is come to naught. The shipmasters, the captains of the ships, and the sailors. And as many as trade by sea, they stood afar off, and they cry when they see the smoke, burning the city, Babylon, all about them. They put dust on their heads, just like they did in the Old Testament. 
to cry out and to weep and to wail. Alas, that great city, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour it's made desolate. Verse 20. Find something interesting here. Rejoice over her. Now, this is not talking about those people that she's a part of. He's talking about those that he's brought out. Rejoice over her, heaven and holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And that basically talks about the righteous judgment of God. God doesn't move quickly. God is patient to let things change. But folks, when the day comes in one hour, God will bring down Babylonianism. He will tear down that city and destroy the the stronghold of Satan and the Antichrist. He will destroy the church in 17. He will destroy the city, the economy, and all that there is. And there's nothing left for them to do but to fight a battle and to claim their victory over the world, over God. Verse 21. God has remembered the sin of Babylon. God remembered the lure of Babylon. But God remembered the blood of his saints. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. Can you imagine? I don't really know what that big rock is. I I don't know, but I do know this. Whatever comes down at such a speed, whether it's a meteor, whether it's a bomb, or whatever it might be, it's going to destroy that city. And that's what it's talking about here. It will be cast into the sea, and with violence, the city will be destroyed and cast down. Now, here's what I want you to notice in these verses. The last part of that verse says this, and shall be found no more at all. Now, that little phrase, at all, means not at all. And she will be found no more at all, not at all. Now look what happens. The voice of the harpers, this is those who play the harps, the musicians, the pipers, the trumpeters, all of the music of the land shall be heard no more at all, no, not at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee at all, not at all. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. No, not at all. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all. No, not at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all. No, not at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Her luxuries, the necessities, ever all of that has been removed. The music That which is manufactured, all of the work, even the weddings, will come to a violent end and be no more within an hour. No, not at all. At all. It's destroyed. It's done. You see, this is the movement of God upon the wickedness of Satan. Satan is the one who empowers this Antichrist. The Antichrist does nothing except what Satan does through him. And then this false prophet is empowered by Satan. This is Satan's realm. 
This idea of Babylonianism is Satan's idea. It is Satan that is luring us. It is Satan that is causing us to fall and to sin. It is Satan that is leading us down a path that looks so good. And it says there will be many who will walk that street of destruction. And everything looks so good until you get down at the end and all of a sudden it stops. Boom! And there's no more at all. Blessed are those who come the other way. Few of me that find it. But they walk against the crowd. Because they're walking with Jesus. And one day, we'll walk that road right up into heaven. Look at verse 24. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, of all that were slain upon the earth. Let me read to you chapter 17 and verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was astonished with great astonishment. He said, Jesus tells us about this as as he's talking about uh, to the disciples about the end time. Verse 35 of Matthew 23, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. God remembered those and he delivered them. And he has destroyed that which has destroyed them. Justice is realized. And he commands us to rejoice. To rejoice. Because Babylon, Babylon is gone. Yes. But why does he want us to rejoice? Because his judgment is righteous and true. He didn't just get mad. And jerk them up and destroy them. God's played it out. Satan has done everything that he could. And God has played it out. He hadn't turned away. He's still watching. And all of a sudden, the judgment begins to fall. God is merciful in his judgment. He is merciful in his judgment for me and you today. He is merciful in the fact that His judgment will come upon us if we have been saved. He will take away our rewards from us because He cannot condone your disobedience. And He will not condone your disobedience. He will not condone you telling people how great a Christian you are and not serving and doing what God wants to do. He's not going to condone that. The rewards will be removed from us. We'll be saved yet so as by fire. And I believe that that's why we'll see it in chapter 21 of Revelation. You remember when John said, and he'll wipe away every tear from their eye? I think there's going to be Christian people that step into heaven saved just by the fire. All the things that they did, they did nothing for Christ. Yet they accepted him, and they step in, and Jesus will wipe away the tears. You have nothing to bring to him. You have nothing to offer him, nothing to give. Because you see, those are rewards are what we bring to Jesus and lay at his feet. Without Christ, without knowing him as your Savior, we'll be judged, but we'll see it in chapter 20 
you'll be judged at the great white throne judgment of God. And he'll expose everything. He'll show you everything that you did. And he'll show you those times when you stood in a church and you got a hold of the pew and you said, no, no, no. And he'll remind you of every time you said, no, no. And then he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Please don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. And I'm not here to scare you. I'm, I'm not here to do anything but tell you what the scripture says. But if you need Jesus today, it's time to step out and say, I need to be saved. I need to know Jesus. I understand the judgment of God that is coming. And I want to know Jesus. I want to know beyond any doubt that when I leave this earth, I'm going to go to glory. How about you? How about you folks? Please, today, search your heart. And if you have never invited Jesus to save you, you may join a church. You may be a member of a church. I'm glad. You might have gone through rituals. I'm glad. But you'll never know Jesus until you accept him in faith. Invite him into your heart by confessing. You're a sinner. He's the Savior. But you need to come, and you need to do it now. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm inviting you to step out and come to Jesus and to say yes to him. If you've never opened your heart and received him as your Savior, all the things that I've said, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. You open your heart in faith and pray with me this prayer. Dear Father, I know that I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. And I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you pray that prayer with me, I invite you to stand up from where you are. Come down here to the front. I'll meet you here in a minute. We'll talk about what you've done. If you want to pray that prayer but you didn't, come down here. I'll pray it with you. That's all you got to do. Maybe you need a church home so that you can serve the Lord here and be busy about His work because God has brought you here to serve Him. By letter, by statement for baptism, you come, we can work all that out. Whatever God is laying on your heart, don't, don't walk away and say next time. We don't know when next time is. We don't know when the end is. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, the Scripture says. And I invite you to come now. Come to Jesus. Father, the invitation is yours now, Lord. Bless your word. Speak to our hearts. Help us to turn loose, to step out, and say yes to Jesus. In his name we pray. As we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. Come now, but come quickly.